good morning. I am glad to be back with you. I know you might be getting tired of me and might be beginning to think, well, is Cole ever coming back? And actually he is. He will be back. Um, we just, the way the schedule worked out for us this uh, month and the end of last month, you got stuck with me a little extra. So I was glad, I'm glad to be here with you though. Um, last week we began this series and we kind of came to the conclusion last week, we said this, that God gives us responsibility. It's part of God's plan to give us each responsibility. Whether we believe in God or not, he still gives us responsibility. And then he holds us accountable. Not only does he give us responsibility, he gives us the ability to take care of those responsibilities and he holds us accountable to take care of those responsibilities that he gives us. There is a problem. Um, we uh, have introduced sin into this whole picture, but God still holds us accountable to take care of the responsibilities he's given us. He expects us to manage our lives. He expects us to take care of those lives. As we look around the world, we basically see there, you can divide people into all kinds of groups, but for this series, this topic, there are two basic kinds of people. We have people who don't take responsibility for their lives, and we have people who do take responsibility for their lives. Those who don't take responsibility for their lives, they always have reasons why. We have reasons why we don't do it. We have excuses that we can offer to kind of give ourselves a pass, to excuse ourselves. We could even blame others. We talked about that last week as well. We could blame other people. But the reality is when we use an excuse, any form of an excuse, um, it really, we only offer that to make ourselves feel better. The only person it really doesn't make feel better is that person who's left cleaning up the mess that we've made. They don't feel better, but when we use an excuse, we can feel better. It seems like... Um, as adults and teenagers in this room, it seems like we're always having to clean up somebody's mess. Um, it seems like that's just kind of a part of life. It can be so frustrating having to clean up the messes that are around us. And it might lead you to ask the question, why, why did I marry that? No, <laughs> it might lead us to ask the question, why do they leave so many messes? Why are there so many messes to clean up? We gave you some suggestions last week of maybe some reasons why that could be. This, uh, this morning, um, follow me for just a moment, all right? Follow, hang in here with me. It, it's going to feel like we're taking a segue, but it's going to all come together here in just a minute. Um, I want to introduce you to my grandpa. Um, Bryce is going to have him on the screen. Yep, there he is. Um, that's my grandpa. Uh, you can tell by looking at him that he is in uniform, and that is from World War I. Um, and you might be saying, Harley, how can you have a grandpa from World War I? But I do. I do. That is my father's dad. His name was Lou Fisher Petty. Um, and he was in World War I. Now, that generation... Um, I don't personally know anyone who's been in World War I. Um, 
maybe there's someone out there uh, now that's alive. I'm not sure. But this generation specifically, we can talk about them because I think most of that generation is gone. So let's, let's talk about them for just a moment. That generation knew something about responsibility. And that's our topic this series. They knew something about cleaning up their own messes. And they knew something about cleaning up messes that kind of landed on them that maybe were not their own. They knew something about that. This generation, you know, they went through World War I, then they got home from the war. Soon after that then was the Great Depression. So they had to deal with all that mess. Soon after the Great Depression then was World War II. All that just in a short period, relatively short period of time. They had a lot going on. I really believe this generation knew something about responsibility and taking responsibility. So my grandfather, he was born in 1889, 1889. Uh, I lived in a house in Stuttgart that was built right about 1888-1889. This was not his house. My grandfather was from Oklahoma. 1889, that's a long time ago. Um, So let's talk just a moment about what was going on in the world in 1889. 1889, uh, this was kind of what the flag looked like. And you're like, that's a weird flag. That looks really bizarre. Well, one of the things about 1889, they had no uh, official standard of this is what the flag looks like in 1889. There was no law. There was no rule to to follow. So whomever was the flag maker got to make all the decisions about what he wanted the United States flag to look like. It just had to have, in, in 1889, it had to have 38 stars because there were only 38 states when my grandfather was born. And this is one of the flags. Uh, There were many others because the flag maker really got to decide what he wanted. So let's talk about 1889. That's also the year of the Oklahoma land rush. The Oklahoma land rush when they gave away free land. My grandfather's parents ran in the land rush. They got free land. Um, And so, and he was born a year later. I guess they celebrated. And so got their free land. They got my grandfather. What more did they need? You know, and they're in Oklahoma. Well, and Oklahoma wasn't a state, obviously. They were just giving away the land. Um, Let's see. In 1889, there were no automobiles in the United States, pretty much. No automobiles because they hadn't been invented yet. (laughs) There were no cars in the U.S. in 1889. Um, Here's one that kind of struck me. Um, In 1889, that was just, just 24 years earlier was the Civil War. Is that not bizarre? That would be like us today saying, yes, you remember back in 1998 when the Civil War happened? (laughs) 98, that's what would be the same thing us saying today, 98. Wow, that's bizarre. Uh, So that's uh, in 89. Uh, My grandfather, um, when he, uh, in his home in Oklahoma, when he would be in the house and it was 100 degrees outside in Oklahoma, West Oklahoma, um, it was about 100 degrees inside too, (laughs) maybe even hotter. He did not expect that he was going to have a nice balmy 70 degrees when it was 100 degrees outside. Um, Air conditioning wouldn't be invented for another 13 years after my grandfather was born. 
and it wouldn't become standard or, or standard's the wrong word. It wouldn't become readily available in homes really until about 1950. My grandfather actually, he never had ever had air conditioning in his home. He didn't expect it. He didn't have it. Now we have advanced, thankfully. <laughs> 2022, we have advanced. Most of us cannot imagine an Arkansas summer and the humidity without air conditioning. We can't fathom that. We expect that we're probably going to have air conditioning if we're going to go rent an apartment or buy a home or rent a home. We expect it. Here's, here's our first big point. We're going to give you several big points today, and sometimes it might be hard to jot down. If you're a note taker, you might have trouble jotting those down. We just encourage you to snap a picture of the screen if you want. You certainly don't have to. But if you want to remember something that's on the screen, the easy way to do it is just to snap a picture with your phone. Here's the first big point. The more advanced that our culture gets, the more that we adjust our expectations. In other words, what we think that should exist, what the way things should be, the more advanced we get, the more we adjust those. We expect life to be better than what our parents experienced. We expect that. We expect life certainly to be better than what our grandparents experienced. We just expect that. As our culture advances, our expectations of what we expect, they advance. And here's something else. As our expectations grow, as they get larger, so does our sense of entitlement. It grows as well. In fact, we feel completely entitled to things that our grandparents and other generations, they dreamed about. But yet we today, for them it was a luxury, for them it was a dream, but for us today, we expect it as a reality. We have that expectation. We feel entitled to that. The more we feel entitled to things, the less that we are responsible to make those things happen. I need to say that again. That just needs to sink into our hearts, into our memories. The more we feel entitled to something, the less we feel responsible to make things happen, to make that happen. My grandpa, he never had, to the day he died, never had indoor plumbing. Never had it. Didn't expect it. Didn't have it. When my grandfather came home from World War I after serving in France, when he came home, he came home once he got to this part of the world, he rode a horse to his house. That was his transportation. He didn't have a car. He didn't expect a car. There may not have even been any cars in Oklahoma yet when he came home from World War I. And today, we pretty much expect indoor plumbing. I mean, it's a good thing, right? We expect that. We pretty much expect that a home we're going to be in is probably going to have air conditioning. Uh, we expect, we have an expectation today of privacy. We have an expectation of high-speed internet. 
we have expectation of technology. Um, uh, we have an expectation of money. We have an expectation that we should be able to have a job. We have an expectation that at that job, we're going to have special benefits. We not only expect them today, a lot of times we see those things as a right. Like that is my right. That belongs to me. So today in 2022, to not have those things means something's wrong, something's bad. Follow me. So we expect speed, therefore anything that's slow must be bad. We expect convenience, therefore anything that is hard must be bad. We expect entertainment, and therefore to be bored is bad. We expect to be nurtured and taken care of, and therefore risk is bad. We expect things to be provided for us. Therefore, labor is bad. Working hard is bad. I shouldn't have to labor. I shouldn't have to work hard to get those things because after all, I'm entitled to them. You see, when we begin to think that way, then here's what we begin thinking. Someone else is responsible Someone else is, not me. I'm not responsible. Someone else is responsible to make sure I have those things because after all, I deserve them. I'm entitled to them. So it is your responsibility to make sure I have it, not my responsibility. Now, this is huge. This is so huge. Last week as we began, we talked about how uh, we can have a habit of providing everything for someone in our life. And so between that and between our expectations that we get from being part of a high-tech culture, we began to think, we can easily begin to think that we should get something for nothing. And it leaves us not prepared to live life it leaves us not prepared at 18 and 28 and 48 and 58 and maybe even beyond. And the implications of everything I'm talking about are even worse. It, 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 we go on. Since I'm not responsible for my life and somebody else is, it means I don't have any resilience. I'm fragile since someone else is responsible for my life and I'm not. It means I can't bounce back when something doesn't go the way I want it to or I expect it to. I can't bounce back. I can't figure out how to navigate life when it doesn't go the way I expect. It means I don't have the drive or the discipline to work hard because I assume that should have been mine all along from the very beginning, that should have been mine. So I don't have the drive to work hard to make it happen. Here's another implication. Since it's not my responsibility, but yours. Obviously, we're talking about to provide me with the life that I want. Since it's not my responsibility, but yours. When I do get those things, 
I'm not grateful. I'm not thankful. Because I'm entitled to those things, because you owed me those things, I'm not ever going to thank you. Because you owed it to me after all. I'm entitled to that after all. When I claim that you are responsible to provide me the life that I want, something else happens deep inside of me. As my entitlement increases, my happiness decreases. You see, there's no other way for it to happen that way because no matter what I claim that you owe me, that I'm entitled to, no matter what I claim, the reality is I'm not entitled to it. I just think that I am. So I claim that that's what I'm entitled to, that you owe that to me, but the reality is it's not. I'm not entitled at all. There's a great divide between what I expect and what is reality. So I'm constantly disappointed. I'm constantly frustrated because I'm failing constantly. I'm failing to receive the benefits of the life that is owed to me. And that leaves me unhappy, can leave me depressed, can leave me anxious. You see, we begin to assume that we deserve more from society around us. We deserve that. We deserve for society to take care of those things. We deserve more from our government. We deserve more from our workplace, more from our parents. They are all responsible for my life, not me. And conflict always occurs when there's a distance between my expectations and the reality. The greater the distance, the greater the conflict. Today, millions and millions and millions of Americans, and we might number ourselves among them, Millions of us have expectations of what life should look like and what life should be. We have all these expectations. And sadly, it's nothing like reality. And that can lead me to have a life of cynicism. To be cynical. It can lead me into great bitterness because I'm not getting what's owed to me. It can raise my anxiety in my life and raise my personal depression in my life because of the gap between what I think it should be and what it is. All of this because I'm making you responsible for me. I'm not responsible to make it happen. I'm not responsible to take care of it. You are. And what we're getting ready to hear is that Paul in the new covenant tells us, Harley, if that's, if that's Harley, if that's me, Harley, that is irresponsible of you. 
In Galatians 6, we find Paul writing to uh, the church that meets in the town of Galatia, and he knew that this letter was going to be sent to all the churches. It was just going to be sent there first. And Paul begins in this section we're going to be reading, he begins talking about irresponsibility and someone living in an irresponsible way. And Paul comes in and he says this, he says, listen, the responsible people in this person's life, and he is assuming that this person is a part of a church. He says the responsible people in this church, in this person's life, should come together and begin to guide this irresponsible person toward responsibility, toward that path of taking responsibility for their life. And then Paul warns, he says, but as you are dealing with this and this situation, the responsible people must be very careful not to become irresponsible in how they handle this. And after he says that, then he goes into these passages that we're going to look at. And it starts, he continues, we're going to start with verse 4 of Galatians 6. Paul says this, pay careful attention to your own work. In other words, slow down. Slow your life down for just a moment, not so that you can examine that other person, not so that you can look at their life and say, okay, let me size you up. Let me see what you're doing wrong. What's going wrong in your life? No, he says, slow down, not to look at them, but to pay very careful attention. Slow down so that you can look in the mirror and see what's going on in my own life. What am I responsible for? Paul is saying, Harley, focus on your responsibilities, what is on your plate. Spend your time and your thoughts and your energy on that. And then he says this, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. So last week we said that we were created for responsibility. And we said when we are fulfilling those responsibilities that God has created us for, we will be on a pathway of being satisfied in life, on a journey towards satisfaction. So he says, then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And then he adds this, you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You see, as long as I compare myself to other people, I'm going to make excuses. That's going to be my human nature, my tendency. So if I'm not fulfilling my responsibilities as I compare myself to someone else, well, I'm going to make an excuse. There, there's always a reason why. There's always a reason why I'm not fulfilling my responsibilities, or I can make an excuse, or I could blame someone else. It's their fault that this didn't happen. It's their fault I didn't do this. It's their fault I didn't. It's uh, when I was uh, my, uh, my freshman year of college, I did at the same time I was a senior in high school, I learned a valuable lesson. Um, set your alarm and pay attention to your test schedule because your mom's not going to wake you up and make sure you get to your final. Very valuable alarm. It actually, I, I need to confess, it took me two years to learn that. I learned that lesson again 
my sophomore year when I was out of the house then. I was no longer a senior or a freshman. I was now a sophomore in college at Arkansas State University. And um, uh, I knew when the test was, this time at least. I knew when the test was. And I did set an alarm, um, but I didn't hear it. I didn't hear that alarm. I show up, it was a two-hour test, and I had an A in the class. I, I, I enjoyed being a good student, doing what was expected of me. I show up to the test. I still had 15 minutes of that two-hour block to take my test. And my professor, full of grace and mercy, um, no, he wasn't. He didn't even let me start. <laughs> he didn't even, I could have at least answered enough so that I could have maintained. Uh, no, mm-mm. I didn't even get that 15 minutes that I thought was mine, but no, it was his, and I didn't get it. I learned a valuable lesson um, that uh, I could blame him. I, I could make excuses of why I anything that came out of my mouth Honestly, even if I truly believed it with all my heart, it didn't change the reality. I went from an A to a C. That's the reality. Didn't matter what I said about it. That's the reality. I, I, I can blame. I can make an excuse. I can also do this. I can overcare about what you are doing. Let me explain that. I can compare my life to your life. And I can think, man, you have it so much better than I do. I mean, you don't have the struggles that I have. You don't have the challenges that I have. Why didn't I get your life? Why wasn't I born into your family? Maybe they'll adopt me. <laughs> I, I, I can overcare about your reality to the point that that's the reality I want. And I, so that means this, I cannot be happy for your successes. Because every time you succeed, if I'm comparing myself to you, every time you succeed, I just realize even more I'm a failure. And I might add to that, I could think, and it's unfair. So I can't be happy for your success because I overcare about your reality. But then Paul is getting ready to tell us that there is a kind of comparison that actually is helpful. When I compare myself to myself, I won't make excuses anymore. Then I can begin to make progress. When I compare Harley to the Harley I see in the mirror, I can stop making excuses and start making progress. Here's what Paul goes on to say in verse 5. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Some of the translations say this. 
I didn't use this translation, but I want to, I want to give it to you. Some of the translations say this, we are each responsible to carry our own load. We are each responsible to carry our own load. Each of us have responsibilities. And Paul is saying, we must take those responsibilities seriously. We have responsibilities related to our spouse. We have responsibilities. We have responsibilities. We must take those seriously. If we don't take those responsibilities seriously, there will come a point could come a point where that relationship dissolves if we don't take them seriously. We have responsibilities in every relationship that we have, not just with our spouse, but every relationship in our life. We have a part to play, a role to play. We have responsibilities. In your family, you have responsibilities there too. You have responsibilities. Parents have responsibilities. And I shall not forget, children. Children also have responsibilities in the family. We have financial responsibilities. We have responsibilities to take care of ourselves, to take care of our children, to keep a job, to pay our bills. We have responsibilities. We're not asking someone else to go work so that I don't have to. We have responsibilities. We each have a load. Paul is saying we have a load and we need to carry that load. In every area of our lives, in our families, in our relationships, with our spouses, Paul is saying whatever is your responsibility, carry that load. Because... Here's a big one. When we don't carry our own load, we are asking someone else to carry that load for us. If I don't carry my load, I'm asking someone else. And that applies to our spouse, that applies to our family, that applies at work, that applies at school, that applies in our home. If I don't carry my load, I'm asking someone else to carry it for me. Now, I want to hit pause for just a moment. Um, I've invited a friend to come and tell part of his story. His name is Wayne. Wayne is on his way up here right now. Um, Wayne is from Pine Bluff, and he came with his brother today. Wayne is from Pine Bluff, and he lives in Stuttgart. And he is a part of Stuttgart Harvest Church. Let's use this one because that one I have not tested for uh, the uh, for the recording. Um, so he uh, Wayne lives in Stuttgart. He's a part of Stuttgart Harvest Church. I asked him to make the drive over here today. And Wayne, thank you for coming. Glad to be here. Okay, so Wayne, um, we're we're going to get the pleasure this morning of hearing part of your story. And um, we, we talked this morning, um, your story goes back a few years. And so why don't you start at whatever point? You said the first 10 years were pretty good. Yes, I was raised uh, by farmers, on a farm, country boy. Uh, seemed pretty normal 
till I was around 10, 11 years old. Things at home started falling apart, and it just grew from there. In my early teens, I discovered alcohol, and didn't realize it then, but things really were falling apart. When I was very small, we attended church. I knew where the church was, but I drifted away from that. And through high school, everything involved alcohol. After the football games, after anything going on, we all had the alcohol parties. And after I got out of high school, I started getting married. And wasn't long, that started falling apart. Alcohol would be involved. Final decision, I was talking about responsibilities. I shunned my responsibilities to go drink with my buddies and instead of being at home. And I uh, started having children. I drifted away from them. I wasn't there for them. I struck out on the road rodeoing. And not only was I gone from home, I was gone from the state. I went all over the country. Be gone sometimes a year before I seen my family. And alcohol got involved with that. Seemed like every success I had, I would drown it out with alcohol. And the more alcohol I had, the worse, the farther down the pit I would fall. And you, you told me too, Wayne, that you had a, a variety of experiences in life. I mean, at one time you were on a police officer. That's correct. Yeah. I was and, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, talk about responsibilities. I had had a lot of responsibilities. I took them serious. And, and one day I just felt like I was tired of being the town babysitter. And I struck that responsibility left. And I got to where I couldn't take care of myself, much less the whole community. Yeah, yeah. And alcohol, you said, was involved in that decision, even. It, it, it always was. Yeah. It just yeah. uh, seemed like that was the only stress reliefs I had. It was very stressful being a police officer. I still have uh, members of my family are police officers. It's... It is a difficult thing on your mind yeah. to do it correctly. So um, you were part of the rodeo. Um, you yes. traveled. You weren't here. And alcohol was all a part of that, that life as well. That was part of the big party after the rodeo. It's yeah, everyday affair there. Have a wild ride and go party afterwards. It is... It continued on and on and on. Yeah. So we talked this morning, and you mentioned um, that in your life that the responsibilities that largely because of, of alcohol that you had kind of pushed to the side, um, that there were people in your life who had to pick up some of that responsibility to a point. That's right. To a point. Uh, my family did all they could do for me. And eventually.
let's just say I, I drove them away from me. Yeah. And so they, at some point, they, they were not there anymore. Yeah. Well, I don't blame them. Yeah. Gets, I didn't want to be around myself. Right. And I understood why they didn't want to be around. Yeah. I became real violent. I was I was dangerous to be around. Physically violent. And something happened. Last year even. Last year you came to a point and you told me in the parking lot, I think, that you Last, got sick and tired yeah. of being sick and tired. Very sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. I, I wanted to do different. At the time, all I wanted to do was just die. Yeah. God had a different plan. He sure did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God had a different Praise plan. Praise God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And so, in the, a matter of a day, you found yourself heading to John, a place called John 3.16. Yes. Uh, well, actually, the night Jesus spoke to me, was the following week, the, the procedure to go to John 3 is, it, it is on, you have to come on a Sunday. And the week before that, when I had a real revelation, and we, he helped me get through the week sober. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. That is great. And then you show up Sunday, um, and, and, and let t tell them what John three sixteen is because we we know it's a Bible verse, but in Arkansas. It's also a place. It is a place in Charlotte, Arkansas, just outside of Baseville, about 15 miles. It is a camp for men with addictions. It's a boot camp. And if you don't do right, you'll get kitchen duty. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big punishment. <laughs> it's a big camp. <laughs> but when you go over top the hill and look down at the camp, you think you just died and went to heaven. It's, yeah. it's just you, so what you, comes over you is indescribable. You, you were describing how you were, you're driving through the hills and it's like you're going into the middle of nowhere and you come up that rise and then you get a view of the facility. That's and you right. told me what you felt at that moment. It felt like I carried a back with a bunch of anvils on my back up the hill. But as soon as I got over there, they got kicked off of me. Jesus kicked the devil out of my life. Wow. Okay. And so you began to learn about a new life. That's, uh, we had, it's pretty extensive, uh, Bible studies, three a day. Yeah. Uh, it's just, we have job duties we serve doing. And for six, I stayed six months and graduated. Yes. I come to know Jesus better. Uh-huh. I can open, you can tell me something in the uh, scripture in the Bible, and I can open it to that now without having to go to the index. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in the Word. We yeah. went to church when we were kids, but 
as soon as I got old enough to run away from home, I didn't stop by many churches. And yeah. About 30-something years ago, one of my running buddies I was raised with had a bad car wreck. And he asked the Lord, said, if you'll let me live through this, I'll never smoke, drink, or run around on my wife or anything. And I think this year is his 41st year. He's a preacher in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, and so, and you had, you know, you, that was a transition for you from a life where you had pushed responsibility away and to the side, and you've picked the, it back up. The entire, just put things off. Don't do it at all. It's, yeah. I had a lot of responsibilities. Every time I would start to regain my place in life and acquire things, it's like I was self-destructive. It had to go. I, I had yeah. to be broken, homeless. I, I, I couldn't stand success, seemed like. And uh, for different reasons, I got out of the rodeo business, and that was my life. And I stayed mad about that, but it, it was my fault. I added too much alcohol and temper. And, but when I went to John 3, I learned I'd, you could get Jesus in you there. And I, was, I just one day said, uh, opened up to him, and, and he's done so many things for me since. It just, I was telling Harley a while ago, a year ago this weekend, I was down the road at a rodeo. All kinds of drinking and stuff going on. And if you'd have said a year ago, I'd be sitting here today, nobody would have thought it. Jesus is real. Well, Wayne, um, your life is completely different today. Totally. Yeah. I, the first, when I, I, Cole got to meet you first in Stuttgart. Um, and Cole told me on that Monday that we met uh, after he met you, he said, yeah, there was a guy here today. His name was Wayne. And Wayne said, he's ready to serve. And Wayne has served every Sunday he's in town since then. You, uh, you are a different guy. With I, responsibilities. I almost didn't come today because I had to miss church there today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell Cole. He's going to feel good about that. He explained to me this was a branch office. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wayne, I am so grateful that God has changed and is continuing to change your life. He's not done, is he? Oh, it's a work in progress. Yeah. I still have those moments that I don't... The anger, the devil starts coming at me. I just rebuke him in the name of Jesus, and he yeah. leaves me alone. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. He, death's been arrested, and I. I, I never uh, met the old Wayne. And I, I, have, I have trouble imagining I have this to, Wayne. I have to tell this. Being that Wayne. I was Stacy most all my life. And my dad was Stacy. And they started, my family calls me Wayne. School at first grade started calling me Stacy. And Stacy Farley has a reputation that is so bad and, and it's so not me. I changed it at John 3 to Wayne. There you go. There you go. Which is my name, but my middle name. Yeah. 
death got arrested, his name was Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus yeah. keeps the devil gone. Yeah. Well, Wayne, I am so grateful that you shared part of your story. And as we talked earlier, there's a lot more to your story. You had 60 years of living. Um, and we just took a few of the highlights to talk about for 15 minutes. But I just want you to know, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for our Heavenly Father who is full of grace and full of love. That very same grace that he has bestowed upon your life, Wayne, he has bestowed upon me and my life. Um, I needed it every bit as much as you did, and he gave it to me freely. And, you know, we talk about this every once in a while, and I've got to, I'm going to say this, I'm going to stop, I think. God's grace is absolutely free, but it cost us our life. And the moment we set Jesus aside is the moment we began picking up that old life. It's like the weight of the world is off my shoulders. Yeah. And I can do anything now with his help. Yeah. Let me pray for you before you step down. God, thank you so much for Wayne. I am so grateful for this story of grace and this story of mercy. And God, thank you. Thank you that at some point when, we, when Wayne looked around and there was nobody left, nobody there, there was, you were there. And God, you picked his life up and you turned him around. Thank you in the name of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you so much. Well, I was excited for you to hear from Wayne. Um, you see, God gives us responsibility. And he gives us what we need to take care of those responsibilities. And then God holds us accountable. And Wayne was through with himself. But God wasn't. And I am so grateful that he shared his story with us today. In my life, the life of Harley, every time that I'm irresponsible, and I have been often, every time that I'm irresponsible, someone else in my life or that is connected with me has to pick up my responsibilities, and they have to shoulder those responsibilities, and they have to carry the burden that I was supposed to carry. My irresponsibility, it's never a solo thing. It's never something that just impacts me. It always impacts anyone connected to me. Always. Uh, irresponsibility is a community matter. If someone in our community does not take care of their responsibility, someone has to shoulder that responsibility. Responsibility is a family matter. In our families, if we don't take responsibility for our own lives, someone in our family has to pick up that responsibility and take care of it for us. Responsibility is a work matter. 
If we don't take our responsibilities for our lives at work, someone we work with has to pick up that responsibility and carry it for us. Responsibility is a school matter. If we don't take responsibility, students, for our lives at school, someone else has to pick up that responsibility and shoulder it. I can tell you this. I, students, you didn't always used to have to carry everything you own in a backpack around the halls of your school. They had these things called lockers. But over the course of years, as people put things in those lockers that didn't belong, Somewhere along the way, you lost, you lost the right. And now you have to carry everything you own around the hallways. When we don't shoulder or the responsibilities that we've been given, someone else has to carry those responsibilities. It's, not, it's also a church matter. If we don't carry our responsibilities in church, as the church gathered, this building is not the church. You are the church. If we don't carry our responsibilities in the church, someone else has to pick up our responsibility and carry those responsibilities. And Paul is telling us in Galatians 6, he's saying, carry your own load. Carry your responsibilities. Focus on what you are carrying. Stop comparing ourselves, Paul is saying. Don't compare yourself to the other people. Uh, he says, don't focus on how easy that person has it. Don't focus on what they are doing. Paul is telling us, as it relates to responsibility, focus on the load that you're supposed to be carrying. Carry that, he says. Carry your load. Manage your responsibilities. So the, all of that today brings us to this. I'm going to ask you to join me in doing two things. We said this morning that when we don't carry our responsibilities, there is always conflict, always conflict. So this week, we're asking you to do two things. Here's the first. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do, if you're experiencing some conflict in your life, I'm going to ask you... to draw a circle, okay? If you're experiencing conflict in any area of your life, I'm going to ask you to draw a circle. Tension, or conflict, whatever. I'm going to ask you to draw a circle. This circle is going to represent for you all of the conflict in that relationship, okay? Whatever it may be. It may be at work, relationships at work, could be in your family, could be with a spouse, could be with a friend, could be with a neighbor, might be over <laughs> trees hanging over your yard. I, I don't know. It could be anything. Maybe they're walking their dogs in your yard. I don't know. Conflict. Draw a circle, and in that circle, that's going to represent all of the conflict that's there. It's going to be the chaos that's involved in that relationship, family work. 100% of the chaos, the conflict is inside this circle. I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to ask you to go home and draw that circle. Draw the circle. So, 
The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is draw a slice. Okay? So if this is a pie, we're going to ask you to draw a slice. And let's just say, you know what? I don't have all the responsibility. I have some. I have some. Maybe your slice of the pie is just like this. Okay? Maybe, maybe that's your slice of the pie. All right? Maybe that's yours. But I'm going I'm to ask you to draw the circle and say, of that conflict of what's going on, what is my slice of the pie? What is my responsibility? What part do I have? And here's our tendency, though. Our tendency is to focus on all of this, all the rest of that. See that big old piece there? That's our tendency. And we're like, it's their fault. This is why we're having the conflict. All of this right there is the reason we're having the conflict. That great big slice of the pie right there, it's them. It's their fault. They're the reason. That's what's going on. But here's the problem. As long as you focus on their part, on their load that they should be carrying, as long as you focus on that, you're never, it's going to be chaos. You're never going to make progress because you can't do anything about the load they're carrying. You can only do something about yours. That's it. You can't make them carry their load. You've tried, haven't you? And you can't. You can't force them. You can't make them. You can't coerce them. You can't argue them into carrying their load. They either are or they aren't. All you can do is focus on the load, as Paul said, that you are supposed to be carrying. So we're going to ask you to draw the circle. And then we're going to ask you to figure out how much of that is my responsibility. And then we're going to ask you to do what Paul said. Focus on the load, your responsibility that you are to carry. Focus on that. With God's help, and it will take God's help to not focus on all of this. Focus on your responsibility. And you know what? It may be the, the opposite. Maybe you carry most of the load. Maybe you carry half the load. Doesn't matter how much it is, all you can do is focus on the load that you're supposed to carry. What is your responsibility? Focus on that. That's the first thing we're asking you to do today. Because you see, God created you to be responsible. And all you can do is say, this is my, I claim it, I own it, this is my responsibility. This part of the conflict is me. It is on me. And I am going to do what I need to do to carry this load and to do better and to do what I need to do with what has been given me as my responsibility. Here's the second thing we're going to ask you to do. Because we're asking the question, am I taking responsibility for my life? Am I taking responsibility for my life? In any situation that you have, anything that's going on, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you simply say, in this situation, 
what is my responsibility? Uh, we're not talking, it may, and it, that, that's about conflict. But in any situation, at work, at home, uh, in, in the church, in all your relationships, what is my responsibility? And, and will you answer that as you approach a task, as you approach a day, as you approach what is my responsibility? And give yourself an answer. This is my responsibility. And then here's my challenge. Now pick that up. Pick that up. Whatever it is, pick that up and do that because only you can make a difference in that responsibility. If we excuse it, someone else is going to have to pick it up for us. So we're going to ask you, will you name it and claim it as your responsibility? That's a whole different version of name it and claim it. <laughs> will you name it as a responsibility and claim it as yours? I've got to pick that up. Now, let's talk to our Heavenly Father. Because this is a tough topic. God, I am so grateful that what you were in the process of doing in Wayne's life, that God, you have also been doing in my life. Thank you. God, thank you for not giving up on me. God, I'm asking you, would you help us today would you help us to pay attention to the load that you have asked us to carry in our marriage, in our relationships, in our work, in our homes, in our community, in our schools, in our churches? Will you help us identify the load that you have asked us to carry? And now, God, will you help us to pick that up and carry it? And God, if we're experiencing conflict in a relationship, would you help us to draw the circle and say, God, every bit of the conflict in that relationship is represented in that circle. And God, I need your help to help me understand what part of that is my responsibility. What part of that is something that only I can do. And then God, Will you help me to do that? And God, as I am on a path of claiming responsibility for my life and not expecting someone else to pick up my load and carry it for me, I will be on a path toward satisfaction that God only you can provide. So God, I simply ask that you would help me to own my part of the slice and help me take care of that. And in the name of Jesus, our Savior, I pray these things. Amen.